This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Marina Sirtis, Deanna Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. You're listening to Trek FM. Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer. Amy is away this week, having an amazing time probably on the Star Trek cruise, but join with me today is Joe Keegan. Joe, how are you doing today and how jealous are you of Amy? Not at all. That that boat's just going to get quarantined <laughs> with coronavirus or something. Oh, so, jeez, Joe, don't <laughs> wish that. <laughs> no, um, I've been better because I've got this chesty cough thing, um, which I can ask. And you're I, sure you don't have I, coronavirus? I'm sure I don't. Right? There are actually no cases in Scotland. There are cases in all other parts of the UK, but none in Scotland. Um, okay. I think we Scottish people combat it through the use of alcohol um, and that's why we've not had any <laughs> i think so oh i see but i'm okay i've just got this really yeah. annoying chesty cough and it's like i want to itch it and i can't because it's in my lungs oh so but yeah i'm good sorry mm. to hear that how are you well <laughs> doing good yeah feeling fine and uh it's just great to be here on earl gray we'll have a special guest that we'll introduce in a little bit but first I uh, want to go through some Babel Conference feedback. Uh, first for Earl Grey 312, which was Lost Episodes Part 9 with our guest Brian Malosh. Uh, so, Joe, do you want to read the feedback uh, Well, there? that's the episode that I lied on, I realized. Because I made a big point of saying lied? Yeah, that it was my first Lost Episodes. But it turned out it wasn't. Because oh. when I was, I think I edited that episode. And I discovered that oh. Part 8 was my first episode. I was like, okay, that was oh, that couldn't well, have been memorable. I don't know. Is is it oh no. I mean, is it a lie if you just forgot at the time? You're not like trying to deceive no, I don't us. Know what, just no. Forgot. no, I did not try to deceive anybody. Well um, yeah, it was just I forgot. But it wasn't that long ago, so it's just maybe because <laughs> I'm getting old and forgetful. In any case, Mark Keller says, I enjoyed hearing about the script submission process. Brian had some good ideas for episodes. Too bad it didn't work out. Yeah, he, he seemed quite tenacious, didn't he, about getting in there and getting his scripts yes. read and talking to the people in charge. So that was cool. Yeah, and submitting a letter purportedly from his friend that he actually sneaky. wrote <laughs> to I know. Jerry Taylor. Yeah, very sneaky and clever. So yeah, he got into that process. I think, I agree, Mark, he had a lot of great ideas. Kind of too bad it didn't work out, but you know, it meant that Brian had a really great story to tell us. So, yeah, that was a great episode. 
So we also have feedback from Earl Gray 313, which was about AI and TNG with our guest, Jen Tift. I think we had a great time uh, talking about do that. Do we know, Justin, uh, sorry, so do, you know Karen, do we know if Marty's been freed yet? The resistance has pulled him out? <laughs> or is he still looking for spellages uh, in that Philadelphia? You know, it's, it's, it's funny because I think that after that episode, Jen had sent us like a link to an article from her local area in Pennsylvania about these robots. And I, and I had this this idea that they would be like human looking, like walking around. And no, I mean, it's it's more like like, like, a, like a giant like a kind of sign with a head and googly yeah. eyes. Like, so you wouldn't see that and be like, oh my God, and, you know, it's it's an Android. Uh, it, it, it's really like very clearly just like this like friendly thing, but... So I, I think after seeing that, there's no need to free Marty because Marty doesn't even know what's going on. I'm oh, pretty sure because he's that. not sentient doesn't mean he doesn't need to be free, <laughs> Justin. Come oh, okay. on. I'm half expecting wow. Arnold Schwarzenegger to jump through a time portal and come back to rescue him from a dystopian future. Yeah. Anyways. I'll tell mm-hmm. you what, Joe. Um, go ahead and buy your ticket. Uh, to Philadelphia, wander the streets. Just yeah. Go ahead and check okay. it out and see if if Marty really needs to be freed. Meet him, talk to him. He won't say anything to you, but you can try. Well, besides that, uh, we had Karen Chuplis who said Joe's example of the robot daughter in Japan. I think it's probably a little like. Bear with me when you see a body. No matter how well they are done for the funeral, they lack that essence of all that is them. We have so many t- little ticks and expressions, and these are constantly passing across our face and through our eyes and even body movement. Things that seem small and imperceptible, but we recognize if they aren't there. It's how we can notice in people we know really, really well that something is wrong or off. When those things change or are missing. So, yeah, I think that is what is creepy. I think that's a great point, Karen. Yeah, we were talking about what makes it creepy if it's, you know, robot or artificial intelligence, and we were thinking that maybe it's like missing something that makes it seem it's like looks human, but you can tell that it isn't because it doesn't have those kind of like expressions and things you expect from a human. I think it's a good point. I think we, and we didn't mention that really about the, it's that something, isn't there? There's a spark missing Mm -hmm. that makes us feel uncomfortable because it's what we recognize in other humans. So Mark Keller says, great episode, interesting point about the enterprise computer being a creator in regard to Moriarty. The question I have is, why are AI holograms more human than data? To me, they seem like real people. Couldn't Dr. Soong use the same type of AI programming when creating data? That's a really good point. I have no idea why. It's an interesting question. And I I, I think I replied in, in the thread, like maybe Soong felt that if an android looked like too human and you and you couldn't quite tell that maybe it will get at that creepy factor we were talking about before whereas if it looked like like data with you know the gold paint Mm -hmm. and you know the different colored eyes and all that it it would say like this is an android we know that they're different they're learning things and and all of that and maybe it wouldn't have been as as frightening Uh, i don't know As, as as if like 
it's somebody who seems exactly like a human, and then you discover they're an android. Maybe he thought that would did freak they, people out. Did they not say that in Data Lore, that Lore was made first, but uh, he was made too perfectly, yeah. and uh, the colonists became afraid of him? Well, I thought that, I mean, that didn't have to, I, the appearance, I don't think the appearance of Lore was ever different than Data. I took that to mean that Lore had all of these emotions, and people were really, like, frightened by that. Mm. And not his yeah, appearance. Okay. And I suppose yeah. making, like in terms of appearance, I suppose making something look human made out of real stuff is going to be more difficult than using light and force fields to make something look more human, which is what is done in the holodeck. Mm-hmm. In terms of behavior, yeah. why the holodeck AIs behave more human than some type androids. And I suppose you could argue that you've got two multi-level cores of the enterprise computer potentially available to Mm. process the information that is required to appear and show human behavior rather than just trying to compress everything down into a human-sized body. Mm, I think Mm. that makes sense. We've we've solved the riddle. (laughs) We have. So Michael Bentley says, really enjoyed this episode, both thoughtful and fun with the occasional slightly bizarre digression that I so love about Earl Grey. Your conversation about Data at the beginning, about the limits to his understanding of human behavior, reminded me that I've heard how some Star Trek fans who are on the autistic spectrum say they identify with Data. I think that makes sense, because although Data evinces many of the best qualities of humanity, to the extent of being possibly the most loving parent imaginable in his relationship with Lal, what he finds most difficult is the complexities of feeling and social interaction. So thank you for your comment, Michael. Yeah, I think we like that uh, we get into some deep discussions, but we also have some bizarre and fun stuff. What do you <laughs> that mean we these slightly the bizarre really like that. digressions? All of digressions are really amazing. Yeah, it's but true. sometimes they're a little surreal, mm. maybe in a good way. But yeah, and and uh, Mike and Michael, I love your comments about uh, about data and you know his difficulty with social interaction, and that some fans who are on the autistic spectrum might identify with with data. Um, yeah, I, I, and I think that's, and maybe that's part of what we like about about Data. He's like coming from this place of innocence where he's like trying to figure things mm-hmm. out, and there's something that 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 feels very relatable about that. That he's trying to, that he doesn't have like everything figured out, and he's just like perfect at social mm-hmm. interaction. Because I think no matter how much social interaction you have in your life, I don't think anybody can feel perfect. There are always situations, always things going on where you might fail or have a lot of difficulty. So it's it's very relatable, even though the examples for data are often simple things that we usually don't struggle with. I had a discussion with some friends recently about whether or not we were introverts or extroverts, and we kind of. Mm. Half came to the conclusion that there's probably a little bit of both in each of us, like depending on the mm-hmm. situation and depending on how, where, and who yeah. you feel more most comfortable with. So in some circumstances, mm-hmm. like in Vegas, STLV for me, I'm the biggest extrovert. But then in other situations, I just want to maybe not interact with people when I feel uncomfortable. I'd rather just be on my own. Yeah, I've, I feel the same way. Sometimes I describe myself as an extroverted introvert because there's lots of like situations where I don't mm. participate or I'm like the person yes. in the corner or whatever. But if it's a subject I'm really interested in, like if you're talking about, you know, Star Trek or science or, you know, music that I like, I'm going to be there talking yeah. your ear off. So like, it just like depends on what you're talking about. And I think that's the, yeah, the but, way it goes. Uh, an extroverted introvert. I think by nature we're introverts, but there are certain things that can bring out our extrovert nature. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. 
Interesting. Good fit for yeah. thought. Thanks everyone for your Babel Conference feedback. As always, we really appreciate it. So join with us today is a special guest. It's Rob Chapman of the Trek Book Club on Twitter. So Rob, you were previously on Earl Grey 247, where we had a great discussion about lessons with Amy. And welcome back to Earl Grey. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Really glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you back. I know it's um, it's been a while because that was, oh, let's see, you know, almost 70 episodes ago, <laughs> so it's been over a year. Um, but uh, it's great to have you back. And, you know, when I asked you something you wanted to talk about, you said that you wanted to talk about who Picard's best partner might be, and you listed out uh, some people for us to talk about. So tell us why you wanted to talk about that topic. Well, I thought it kind of connects to... The last time I was on Earl Grey, because I get to talk about Nella Darren again. <laughs> but um, I thought it's, yeah. n- it's not been that long since Valentine's Day. So I thought it was quite apt. You know, we we can talk about Picard, which is obviously very relevant, given the fact that Star, you know, Star Trek Picard is gracing our screens at the moment. And also, I just thought the, the characters that Picard potentially has relationships with, I think they're really interesting women so i just thought it'd be really interesting to talk about mm. them yeah i think that's a great point um and and so i'll just kind of list out who we have on the, we may talk about others but i mean then i think joe before we started recording you were saying like if you look into it there's like actually a bunch mm. of different people that you could talk about for romantic relationships with picard but i think we'll we'll keep it to a certain list so so what you had on your list originally rob was uh, beverly crusher uh, vosh nella darren and anish and then I added to the list uh, Kamala from The Perfect Mate. So I think we're going to talk about each of those in turn. Maybe we can talk about Beverly Crusher first. I mean, of course, out of this list, we see her the most. Uh, lots of people love, you know, Beverly Crusher and Jean-Luc Picard together. So I just want to kind of get thoughts like, what, like Rob, when you think about like Crusher and Picard, like what are your thoughts on that? I guess, you know, they... The fact that they have so much history together, you, you're never going to really beat that with any of the other characters that we see in TNG. Um, even the characters that he does have relationships with, rather than passing flings, you know, they have all this history together. They've known each other for so long. They've got this, yeah, this shared history, these experiences they've had together. So, yeah, they're obviously a, a, a natural pairing. Like, Joe, what, what do you think about Crusher and Picard? They're, they are kind of an obvious pairing, aren't they? Given that shared history, given the fact that Picard brought her husband Jack's body home after he died, and then it was clear that they'd been friends beforehand then, it's kind of implied that they lost touch mm-hmm. before they both came aboard the Enterprise. And then there was that reunion there and their friendship developed over the seven years and then through the movies. And obviously in all good things we saw and that they had been married in this alternate future. So, yeah, it's kind of a, an easy choice. I would be quite comfortable with a kind of Mr. and Mrs. Picard slash Crusher um, no. on board the Enterprise. <laughs> um, that would, and you know, they're both Starfleet, so that would be, that would be an easy relationship to organize yeah there would be the hurdles of her being chief medical officer and him being captain if they continued in those in both of those roles of being married and her him being in command of her kind of thing so there'd be some awkwardness i'm sure they're professionals so they go over it It, it's interesting thing when i think about it as i've said on this uh, show before i came to being a star trek fan much later more like about 10 or 11 years ago even though i'd seen some star trek before so really the first time that i saw tng the first time that i really saw crusher was about 10 years ago 
Um, and I think when I first started watching the show, because I don't think I had like read much about it or knew much about it. So I was just kind of going in fresh. And so, you know, you, you see Picard and who he is early on and you see Crusher and who she is early on. And there's this kind of flirtation with that in the second episode, The Naked Now. Um, and it just kind of like they're on the edge of it in a lot of places. Uh, and then you get something like Attached, where it's much more out in the open, but they decide not to to move forward. Um, so, like, I, I always thought, like, yes, they have this shared history. Yes, they have things in, in common. But, I don't know, like, in, in some ways, they feel like quite different people to mm-hmm. me. It, it feels like for Picard, at least, like, if we're talking about the seven years of, of TNG, like, his motivation is, I mean, sometimes early on it's hard to tell because he's like this really stern figure, but but it, it, it feels like, you know, he is motivated by the mission of, you know, being in Starfleet and being out there and exploring and all of that. And, you know, of course, Crusher is motivated by her medical profession and making sure you do the least harm and saving people's lives and all of that. But, like, sometimes it felt to me that, like, outside of that shared, like, Starfleet ethos that I don't, I mean, like, I like them together, but I struggle sometimes to to see as much some of the things they have in common. I don't know if that's coming across well, because I do love the character. I do actually wish that, like, an attached that kind of got together and they moved that forward, but... It always felt like, like I think in a lot of ways for Crusher, there wasn't enough time for her character anyway, even though she was a main mm. character, except for a couple of episodes. So it feels like you you see like, oh, they're friendly and they're having breakfast and all this stuff in different parts of, of the show. But I felt like I didn't quite get as much them doing something in common beyond like having breakfast and being in Starfleet. Does that make sense? Get what you're saying. Yeah, yes. t- totally makes sense. Because I, I, I kind of feel the same. Like when I was preparing for this episode, I, like, I was make, I was making some notes about um, all the people, all the you know the people in the relationships with Picard that we've mentioned. And even though Doctor Crush is one of the main characters, I've written probably less about her than I have about someone like Fash or Darren. Um, which might tell you some, you know, something that, yeah, I, I agree with what you said, that she's underutilised and yeah, it's a shame we didn't get to see them together more. Um, you know, they have these common interests and, um, but like you said, they ha- they're they kind of different as well. You, know, you said about Picard is more focused on his career, as but Crusher has, you know, she has a son, she has a family, is where Picard hasn't really explored that. So even though they do have you know, this, this shared history, some in shared interests, they also are quite different in some senses as well. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they almost feel like the, the kind of people that might end up getting together just because, like, they've known each other for so long. Yeah. They, right? They've got and, a pact, like, and, well, if we're not with anybody by the time we're 40, we'll get married. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> So that's what that's why they got married, uh, you know, in the alternate yes. future and all good things. For no marriage, like, oh, you know, I was seventy, past yeah. age yeah. sixty or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I like, and it's and it's a funny thing because like I I love them together and I love both of them, but I feel like as far as like thinking about who would be best for Picard, and you know, I think I said this on the episode with with when we were talking about Nella Darren, um, I like. I, I really do like Beverly and Picard, but it's not like my top choice for Picard. So, and I know it's a lot of people's top choice. Anyway, it's just this weird thing. Like when I think about it, like I love it, but 
Like, did we really see enough of that to really convince me that she would be the best? I think what makes me comfortable with it is that it just seems like a natural progression for their their friendship and their sense of family that they would mm. they would take the next step after what we see in attached. They they realize they feel this way for each yeah. other. And so the next step is to have some kind of and more intimate relationship. Yeah. Yeah, I would have, I mean, I know I don't think they would have done it back then, but I would have actually really liked it and attached. They decide, let's give this a try. Mm. And then you see what happens and maybe it fails. Like maybe they do this and it doesn't work or maybe it works really well. And can, But like, I feel like we'd never gotten the chance to see if it would actually work. It seems like maybe it could, but I don't know, you know? I think we'd, I would have the same outcome if they did that as what we see in Lessons with Nell Darren, that he he, he loves mm, her and doesn't want to put her in jeopardy and so can't put himself through that kind of thing. They're probably a more realistic pairing than most of the others. I think of them, they're kind of yeah. more like a, a Keiko and Miles type couple. You know, that there's not, you know, masses of lust or passion, but actually they probably are quite good together. I, I don't want to say use the word boring because <laughs> they're not boring, but... You know, there's less, yeah, passion, excitement than some of Picard's other pairings. But that happens when you've been together with somebody for ages. You don't always have exactly. to sit and chat. Like, I could be sitting beside you in for, like, hours and nobody says anything, but you're just so used to each other's company. Or, like, when we're out for dinner, Absolutely. you see young couples and they're constantly gibbering away. We all happily sit and enjoy our food and have some conversation but it's, we're not talking all the time it's just it's nice the silence is sometimes nice it's just each other's presence is good enough but that comes after many mm. years absolutely and i think in, in that sense i think they, they in one way they are the, the ideal pairing because i can see their their relationship lasting actually being a successful proper relationship compared to mm. the others because they mm-hmm. could sit in a room and, and not talk and I just see that lasting a lot more okay. than some of the other relationships that Picard has. Yeah. They might be a lot more exciting, but they're more like flings than, than actual relationships. Mm. Hmm. Well, some. We'll see as some, we talk about all. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, look, uh, let, let's keep going um, because the I, and I think I put this like in order of when they appear in in the series. So then we have Vash, uh, who does you know appear in a couple of uh, TNG episodes, Captain's Holiday and Cupid, and also in DS9's Qless, although of course without Picard in that one. Um, so you do get to see her in multiple appearances, and she's I guess presented as this person that is you know, do, doing some questionable or illegal things <laughs> in Captain's Holiday. Um, and in Cupid is kind of there for, you know, Q's whole scheme or whatever. Um, I don't want to give my thoughts on it first because I have some strong thoughts about it. <laughs> but, but, but Rob, like, what are your, your thoughts about what we see of Ash and, like, how that works for what you think of the best partner for Picard. I've got a feeling that yours and mine opinions on Bash <laughs> might be quite similar. <laughs> I'll start with the good and then I'll go on to the bad. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, when I think of Vash, you know, their whole, you know, snog, marry, avoid thing. <laughs> Vash would be the snog, uh. but she wouldn't necessarily be, she's not marriage material. I don't think she's relationship material. She's fun. She's exciting. But she's not 
marriage material. She's not relationship material. She's too, she's too flighty. She's too mm. unpredictable. Um, yeah. But anyway, going back to the positives, <laughs> I'm going to the negatives already. So, you know, they have shared interests. So they both uh, are into their archaeology. Um, and yeah. they're both, they've got this sense of adventure. Uh, that 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 shared interest. Um, she's clearly really captivating. She's enticing, intriguing, and she's. I think Picard probably appreciates the fact that she's more than capable of handling herself and looking after herself. She's not a damsel in distress. Mm. You know, she is. In the episodes True. we see her in, she is more than capable of uh, dealing with you know, people like, like the, the Ferengi and um, Captain Holiday and with Q. She doesn't need rescuing um so i I like i like that about vash um going on to the negative um or perhaps why i don't think they're such a good pairing and several people in the episodes that she's in point this out you know in in the captain's holiday is it um sovak is it the name of the ferengi he he describes vash as uh, greedy and unscrupulous. Oh, is that the one that's ram- ramen disguise? Yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, yeah, it was really good. Someone who's greedy or unscrupulous doesn't strike me as someone who would make a good match for Jean-Luc Picard. That They're not words you would use mm-hmm. to describe him. Um, you know, she's... No. She is... Um, she's driven by personal gain. Again, not something you'd, you'd associate with um, Picard. Oh, and um, in uh, in Cupid, at, right at the end, where Vash decides to go with Q, go exploring the universe, and Picard describes Q, and he says, and I've written it down, he says he's devious, amoral, unreliable, irresponsible, and <laughs> definitely not to be trusted. And then Vash says immediately after, uh, reminds you of someone, referring to herself. Again, they <laughs> yeah. are not words I'd use to describe... Jean-Luc Picard, and I don't think they're yeah. qualities that, you know, he would necessarily look for. And I get that opposites attract and, and that, that sort of thing. But again, it strikes me as this relationship is more lust than love. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, opposites do attract, but, you know, I think it's one thing to say, you know, you're, you're opposite in terms of, you know, personality or certain interests or the way that you think about life. And it's another to say, like, your core values are opposite right like yeah. so yeah i share a lot of the same concerns that that you have rob but like joe what, what do you think of uh vash i don't know if i've gotten your opinion on her before i think rob you mentioned everything that i would have mentioned the character always really annoyed me she got on my nerves i was like mm. <laughs> i don't want you to be with captain picard i don't i don't see their relationship ever working if she'd stayed she'd always get into trouble and she'd always like you said she's always out for her own personal gains and um, just doing stuff like she's intrinsically selfish she just wants to do stuff for herself and Picard is infinitely more selfless than that so for that reason yeah. their relationship wouldn't work and I think he liked her because she was that kind of unknown quantity there was something about her that he found attractive and it wasn't anything about external beauty it was that she was a bit impulsive I mean, of course, the interesting thing is in, in Cupid, Vash finds out 
to her surprise and disappointment that no one else has heard of her on the ship, right? Like, so so Picard almost is putting it in this category of like, that was a nice fling during my vacation that I will never tell anyone about, you know, because what will they think of me that, you know, I, I had this fling with someone who's so amoral, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so, I mean, clearly it's not something he's thinking about like in, in the long run. And like, yeah, I've, I've had a problem with Vash as well and with Picard even kind of being into that aspect of it of just like ooh, this is something exciting now back to my duty uh because i just i don't know it doesn't quite feel right for picard and i know there are lots of people out there and people listening who are fans of picard and vash and just love it and prefer it to some of the other relationships and and i can see that like in a certain way it's it's pushing Picard in a different direction outside of his comfort zone. It's in some ways also pushing him to reconfirm what his core values are and how he doesn't really like want to go in this, in this direction. But there's always been something since the character first appeared where I've been like, eh, I don't know if that works for me and I'd be okay if we didn't have this character because it just, I don't know. It seems odd that in, in some ways Picard ends up in this position where he's like allying with her and all this like weird artifact time travel stuff that's going on. But uh, yeah, like Vash is is an interesting case because like out of the ones on the list, (laughs) besides Beverly Crusher who's the main character, Vash appears the most. So, I mean, clearly it was something I think the writers of people on the show liked, that fans liked. It was like a different element. So I could totally get that. But I think for the three of us, it doesn't work that well. And we wouldn't consider her the best partner for Picard in any way. So... But listeners, if you do love like Vash and Picard and think that Vash is the best for Picard, let us know your reasoning. We'd love to hear it. But for now, <laughs> like we should have an airlock and a sound effect. Vash has been spaced in an accident. Oops. <laughs> There's Joe trying to kill our characters again. <laughs> it's not good for Picard, so she gets spaced. It's fine. I'm happy with that. Okay, so next on the list, we have a character. We actually talked about it on Earl Grey Nut. Too long ago, I think, um, which is Kamala, who's in The Perfect Mate. And this is a season five episode uh, where the Enterprise is transporting something in their cargo bay for like this peace treaty between these different worlds. And they find out that it's actually a woman that's been in stasis who's supposed to imprint on, I think it's like the first person they see once they reach maturity or whatever. Um, and, and, Like, this is an episode that for a while I really kind of didn't like because it feels like, you know, transporting a person as cargo, having a person as just for this this purpose. But, like, I think in rewatching it recently, it is a pretty interesting episode and Picard, like, handles it in an interesting way and they do seem to have something genuine there. So I've gotten kind of more into it. But I'm interested to hear your guys' thoughts on Picard and Kamala. Uh, Rob? Yeah, I haven't seen this episode for a long time. So I watched it again and... uh... You know, in in theory, Kamala's is, <laughs> pardon the pun, <laughs> she is the perfect mate because she can, she can, she knows exactly what you want, exactly what your what your interests are, um, and she can be whatever you want her to be, which, like you say, is in in a very big sense, it's very troubling that idea of you know almost being. Yeah, like her whole identity relates to another person. There is, in some sense, no independent Kamala. And that's not because they've engineered it that way. It's like some rare genetic thing Mm. that goes on. But it's a a troubling concept that they're like, is there really a Kamala outside of her interaction with whoever she's imprinting on? Does she have like an independent life, Mm. you know? 
Yeah, because there's a, there's bits in the episode where she almost mimics Picard's interests, you know. So she talks about archaeology mm-hmm. and music, and and it, are they his interests that she's just copying? I mean, she says that she's spoken to Data to find out what his interests are. So she clearly has shown an interest, but is she doing that because that's genetic, and that's, or is she doing that because she yeah. wants to? Um, so even though I, she is theoretically the perfect mate for Picard it's just too odd because there's it's difficult to see whether it's her free will or not um I was gonna say I I like you know the fact at the end despite the fact that they clearly have feelings for each other although we don't know whether Kamala's is yeah genuine or not they both choose duty so duty is is clearly important to them so that's like a shared core value that they both have have you seen the deleted scene no so i I watched it recently because we were we've been doing this deleted scenes um series on on earl gray and there's actually a deleted scene where like at the end um kamala is there getting ready to marry this guy ulrich who's really not that into her and i think in the aired episode you know picard just kind of seems a little sad but like there's this whole deleted scene where there's like like a um kind of daydream or fantasy sequence that Picard is having where he's saying like, no, this isn't right. I love you or something like that. And and we need to marry each other. And like in this like fantasy, Picard works it out. He's like, I will marry Kamala. You didn't want this anyway. You just wanted the trade agreement stuff. We can work that out. That's fine. And that they're going to like go off and like marry each other. And then like the fantasy ends and then you see Picard's like sadness. So it's, it like kind of heightens what's going on. It's actually a think would have been a really interesting addition but like the 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 point that we've been talking about like is it her free will is she like at some point i think someone is asking her like is this what you really want to do and she's like yeah that's just who i am like so it's kind of hard to separate that out because it's almost like it's it's almost like ingrained in her that it is who she is and there's no question of free will because like how could she do anything different i don't know Mm. it's just like in this weird kind of territory but uh, but I, I came to appreciate it more and think like, oh, Kamala is pretty good for, for Picard. But there's like a philosophical question like, do you want to be with the person who would just appear and like be supposedly like perfect and have like share all of your interests and do like everything so that there's no conflict or whatever? Would you want that or would you want like a real person that where there are going to be conflicts, there are going to be things that that happen, but you might come to an understanding or whatever. I think I wouldn't want this person who's like perfect because it would always just feel like you're not relating to a real person. You're relating to someone who is just there to do everything that you supposedly are into and actually think that would drive me crazy because it would be like you wouldn't, they wouldn't feel like a real person. I don't know. Nice. Yeah, it's definitely weird, isn't it? Because we don't have anybody like that on the planet now. So I think we have to think of Kamala as a different species. And one of the rules for this species is that they are designed to imprint themselves on a specific individual and be the perfect mate for that individual. And so it's just part of their kind of genetic programming, I suppose. And that kind of gets mm-hmm. around the, yeah. our discomfort with the fact that they're being used as well, a slave. Well, it's, it's apparently it's like a natural, yeah, yeah. it's a natural genetic mutation, uh-huh. right? So it's part, that this it's happens. part of her program and that's what she is designed yeah. naturally to do. 
And in 2020, where everybody's getting super woke and sensitive to kind of equal rights and there's the Me Too movement and there's social justice and um, yeah, everything like that, the idea of Kamala seems a little bit sexist. In a way, there's an idea behind her that she's like this perfect 1950s housewife. And that's what I see her mm-hmm. kind of doing. She's just there to... Yeah, the, the, the kind of like, yes, dear, I will do that. Yes. No problem. Like, yeah. whatever you want, what Service do you want. the yeah. husband and do yeah. exactly what he does and have his meals on yeah. the table for him coming home from work. Although there is a side of me that thinks if that's part of her programming to do that, then she would fulfill her programming. And she would be content with that. And I think she says at a certain point, like, this is what makes me happy to do this. Like, so there is like this element, like, that's built into her, like, no, this is what I like to do. You know, it's it's not that anyone's forcing me. This is what I like Mm. to do. So it does fit into kind of that weird place. Although I think um, there is a certain thing that's going on in this episode about, um, you know, male fantasy of like the perfect woman i don't think back then they would have done the reverse and had like like a male member of the species that's supposed to imprint on someone and like they imprint on you know troy or crusher or something i don't think somehow they would have done something like that so there's something that's very specific Mm. about kamala like being a woman and or being female and just like catering to all of these these needs it feels like I don't know. So I've always felt like uncomfortable for that aspect, but I've kind of seen like if you're to accept that that's what's going on in Picard's in this situation, I can kind of see that he's really like enchanted by someone like sharing all these interests and stuff. But Joe, like in general, what do you think about the relationship for Kamala and Picard and, you know, where it fits into being potentially best partner for Picard? It's kind of heartbreaking though, because you know that it's it can't really work out, you know, because it's episodic TV, it's going to reset in the next episode and everything will go back to normal. Um, So, you know, no matter what they do, it's never going to work out. And then watching the deleted scene, if it did work out, what would that mean? How would Kamala change? She obviously would have imprinted on Picard. And then would that mean she'd be less alluring to the other male members of the crew would have totally changed the show if they were like all right picard is marrying this person and you've got to keep including them in the show you know it would be a different thing i don't know what that would mean so but like in a certain way it's it's one of the relationships on here that's just like it's not possible for it to continue past this episode with how they were doing things back then it was famke jansen so it would have been more expensive as well Uh, shall we go on to talking about Nella Yeah, Darren? my favorite. Um, <laughs> She's my favorite. So, she wins. She yeah. wins. So, sorry, listeners. This is going to be a biased part of the conversation <laughs> because I think all three of us really yes. love Darren. So bear with us. Uh, but so, so Nella Darren appears in a season six episode, Lessons. Um, and in that episode, you are introduced to her. She's a science officer. She's working, I guess, maybe this is the first time they talk about astrometrics, I think. Um, in her little lab with like the half globe or whatever. But um, so she's a science officer that's, you know, working on these things related to, I think, stellar evolution or something like that. <laughs> and it's interesting in the episode because I think Picard is at first like, like unhappy or angry at her because she's taking all of all of like the, the uh, uh, what is it, computing power or something for what she's doing in the middle of the night. But like over the course of the episode, they you come to see that they have some similar interests. Like Nella Darren is the one that gets Picard to really talk about uh, what the, the 
the flute and the music from the inner light from the previous year really means to him that he hasn't really talked with anybody else about. Um, and so they have, and it, and you see during the episode, it's making Picard really happy. He's even like joking with Riker on the, on the bridge with the little fencing thing in his, you know, finger <laughs> <laughs> tapping uh, Riker. So like, there's these parts where you can see like, wow, he's, he's really happy um, in, in what's going on here. But then of course, there's this mission to a planet where there's, you know, all kinds of danger and she might have died and he feels like he just kind of can't can't do that and you don't see the character again. I mean, I think there's a lot that happens in, in this episode. I think we all like it, but <laughs> but let's talk about it a little bit, Rob. So, like, what do you think about Nella Darren and Picard? I think this is the best relationship for Picard for lots of reasons. Like you said, they have lots of shared interests, similar interests, music, uh, the sciences. You know, when there's that scene where um, after Picard's first met Darren, he then has breakfast the next morning with Dr. Crusher. And he's talking about, right. he's, he's really uh, interested in uh, this experiment that Nella Darren's doing. And you can see how in, you know interested he is in it. And Dr. Crusher's just being really yeah. polite. Mm, yeah, really interesting. Mm. Um, so they've they've got this <laughs> shared interest in the sciences and the stellar sciences. You know they both work for Starfleet. They're clearly um, you know very driven, duty, uh, want to help people, that kind of thing. Um, and what you said as well that she just she brings out the best in Picard. She makes him. I'm not saying that up until this point Picard isn't happy because he is, but I think this is the first really big change you see in Picard it's kind of like a, a, a stepping stone to all good all good things where he then comes and joins the crew mm. and realizes he should should have done this sooner mm. um oh you think it, it helps to I open think him so, up yeah bit. yeah I, I think it, yeah mm. it's a bit of a, a stepping stone to that because it she helps him to um kind of like lower not lower his defenses like loosen up a bit and loosen up yeah, relax a bit yeah, yeah. and realize that it's okay for the crew to see that you've got feelings sometimes and it's okay for the crew to mm-hmm. see you mm-hmm. in a in a relationship um and i love in there that there's a scene with troy where she's like people are happy for you it's good like if it's working and it's not interfering with you know with your duty to starfleet like go for it and and i love that because like troy is like pleased and the crew is is like happy about that so i think that's that's great as well yeah she is yeah. like for all those reasons, she is the best for Picard. Very similar kind of relationship in terms of Beverly and Picard, with the exception that they haven't known each other for quite so long. This this brand new meeting mm-hmm. that you see in Astrometrics and the addition of the music as well. And I think the music is really where it makes the relationship come alive, isn't it? Because before that, Picard didn't have yes. anybody to share his music with. Or really anybody to share the whole experience of going through that lifetime they went through in the inner light. And that's such an interesting thing because you'd think he would have shared that with Crusher, yeah. but he doesn't. Yeah. It's so it's so deeply personal for him that maybe he's yeah. just not reached a point where he can share it. Okay, imagine what it would be like to be unconscious for 20 minutes and wake up with an entire life worth of memories. I think that would kind of Completely, mess you up for yeah, a long you'd time. Be, any one of us <laughs> would be hospitalized and, and sectioned and put in the loony bin for a long time. 
So he doesn't have any release. You don't even get a, an idea that he's spoken to uh, Troy about it as counsellor. He just deals with it and he has his risk and flute and he's trying to play ancient earth yeah. music <laughs> along with his risk and flute. So she really brings that love out of in the music for him. Yeah. And I wonder if him not telling Crusher, and I'm trying to remember in the episode if he's talking about the whole experience or just the music part of it, but like, I wonder if him not sharing that with Crusher is, is kind of like when you have the situation where maybe there's somebody you've known for a long time and they're they're like family to you, but it's the person that you feel like, you know, you're in love with that maybe you like just met not that long ago that you feel like you can really open up because there isn't all of that kind of history and things to maybe navigate around or things that maybe would be like uncomfortable or, or awkward, but it's it's like, okay, I think maybe you can understand this, but I think it is very striking that he hasn't talked with, with Crusher about this. And it says something about like how he feels about, about Darren. Um, I mean, it is interesting that out of this list, it's only Darren and Crusher that are in Starfleet. Everybody else mm. is not. <laughs> so I, it, it's something he seems to not open himself up to very much because he's really worried that it could affect uh, his his decisions. And yeah, I I know listeners that might not be into it or like, oh, they're talking about Darren for a while. But, <laughs> but I, I think all of us just really love it because I think there's something about the way that this episode is done and the way that it's that it's acted that you really feel like they're a really great match, but it's because of circumstances, because of Picard's worry about her, you know, heading into into danger that that really kind of breaks it apart. And it's not because like in the in the case of, of Crusher, it's it's like they do this kind of dance back and forth, but none of them really want to commit. And it's almost like sometimes if something has been going on for a long time, it's really hard to kind of break through mm. that, right? So it feels like it's potentially like that's never going to happen. Uh, and then you have Vash, who's somebody that Picard basically doesn't want to even talk about with people. It, it's not going to be like a long-term thing. There's Kamala, which won't work out because of the circumstances and all of that. But But Darren is something that, you know, potentially could work out maybe if it wasn't episodic TV. It's another one of those things like maybe it would be somebody that would be, be brought on and could continue forward. But I mean, they did something like that later in, in DS9, right? Like Cassidy Yates comes on, they get married, they're mm. going to like, Cisco and Yates are going to move forward. So it's maybe they just didn't feel like it was a possibility at that point. But But I think it works really well. And I think there's also like an interesting contrast if you're going to talk about like someone like Darren in relation to like Vosh and Vosh is someone that, you know, we talked about, she's kind of devious and does, you know, these amoral things, but, but Darren is very much like aligns with Picard's core values about like, you know, exploration and truthfulness and, you know, just, just all of these things. So she's a person that like aligns with his core values and also makes him really happy and excited about stuff, right? We talked about the excitement with Vash. He has excitement with Darren. Like he's doing this music. It's making him so happy. And so I think for like so many reasons, it just, it, it works. And for me, it's, that's the best, I guess we're all saying. Yeah, he gains <laughs> yeah. a youthfulness with Darren, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. And it's, mm -hmm. that is, yeah. youthfulness is exemplified with the whole fencing thing that he does to yeah. Riker on the yes. bridge. It's just like that. And I love how Riker yeah. gives this look like, who yeah, is this guy? It's, it's, it's really lovely to see that because before that, he's been a bit like the captain of the um, the Excelsior, now the guy with the riding crop and the moustache. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's just really kind of that mean. stiff upper lip, duties, everything kind of thing. 
Um, and then over the years, we kind of loosens up through all these wee things and all these relationships. And yeah. I really like that. Can I say some one other thing? Yeah. Darren and Vash have that thing in common where they push Picard, but also he sees something mm. new in them, and that's where the attraction comes from. But you're right, Justin, the, Darren's core values much align much better with Picard's than Vashis do because Vashis are just opposite. And the wee conversation that Darren and Picard have when she first goes in his quarters when she asks, what kind of flute is that? And he says, it's Resican. And she says, I've never seen that one before. They're not made anymore. Have you been playing long? Mm, yeah, a long time. And you don't really have to go into the story very much further. And then after that, she pushes him into playing along with her as opposed to playing along with the computer. Yeah. Which I think it brings him out of shell more. Yeah, I love that. I mean, especially, I don't remember, is that scene or maybe the later one when they're in like the Jeffrey's tube playing mm -hmm. that's just one of my favorite things in all of Star Trek it's just such a beautiful just a beautiful yeah. moment acoustics yeah. are amazing yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like so I think one interesting thing is you know we, we've talked about Darren as like kind of like opening him up a little bit and how he's just like you know playful with Riker and all of that and it's funny because, I mean, that kind of mirrors real life where like Patrick Stewart, the person, was apparently like just like very serious yes. in the early days. And like the, the cast was able to loosen him up so that, you know, they tell stories about him just being like, you know, the, the, the craziest and funniest <laughs> after some years. Right. So it's kind of like in the same way that 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 Darren opens him up, like Patrick Stewart's interaction with all of these people has opened him up by that point as well right so that that playfulness you see is probably the same playfulness that was going on behind the scenes so I think there's like an interesting parallel there so I know we've talked about Darren for a while I know we love it <laughs> but <laughs> let's talk about one more person on the list which Amy wanted me to advocate for and I will be trying to do that uh, which is Anij in Insurrection so of course in the movie Insurrection um, you know, they find out there are these people who are seem not very advanced, but are actually advanced and long lived. And, you know, Picard gets to have this interaction with, uh, with Anish and they have kind of this, this love affair that, that happens. Um, Rob, what do you think about Anish and Picard? Um, I'm really sorry, Amy. I wish, I wish I could, I wish I could yeah. say some positive things. <laughs> I'll try, but... She's okay. she's very. I find her quite forgettable a, li a little bit. Um, and the one thing I really don't like about her is um, she has to be rescued all the time. She's a she's a bit of a wet fish. She's a bit, she's a bit yeah, just helpless. A bit of a damsel in distress. You know, there's that bit where she falls into the lake, and you know they have to rescue her. Then the I mean, I'm being a bit unfair. Rocks fall on her. <laughs> of course, someone's going to have to rescue her. Um, but she doesn't strike me. I mean, she can she can slow down time. True, and she. I like the bit where she kind of does. She kind of teach Picard how to do that. Um, I like that scene. Yeah. Yes. Although I don't think yeah. it's about necessarily slowing down time. It's about slowing down your perception of time. It's about living in the moment mm. and yes, just experiencing yeah. each moment for what it is and extracting as much beauty out of it. Yes, than actually physically. You don't think she's just curving. Yeah. You don't think she's just curving kind the local space time to exuding uh, <laughs> a time dilation field because she's so old. No, I think it's just about it's more of a comment on living yeah. in the moment, the yeah. perception, and that's one of the things actually that that I I love about it. 
because I, th- I think there is something there that she is helping Picard to see about like really living in the moment. And and that's that's a lesson that connects with me a lot because I think we can have lots of busyness and lots of things going on in our lives, but we don't just stop for a moment to just kind of be and not like do all of these crazy things and, you know, have our life go by so quickly. So there's something that I really like about that, that she is introducing that you don't see with any of these other uh, characters that we've been talking about. And she's helping him to see something. I mean, especially I think it becomes poignant because Picard's getting older, you know, like by this point, uh, we've been watching Picard for like 11 years. He's older than he was before thinking about his mortality. So there's something about like her getting him to kind of stop and just pause and reflect that I really like and enjoy. So that's a positive thing. I can I'm, I'm kind sure. of the same. Um, I think this is one time where you get all three Earl Grey hosts agreeing on something. <laughs> I like Anish as well. I think, though, Anish mm. recognises something in Picard that she hasn't seen or she never sees in somebody that's so young and that he is he's kind of older and wiser than his youth would make you believe. And that's they've got this common kind of aspect to them. She's an ancient, she's like 300 years old and has never learned to swim. But her society is kind of really advanced, but they've just gone back to in a simpler times. And if you're going to do something well, you might as well take the time to learn to do it the right way. And that's what the Baku generally do. Like they spend so many decades being apprentices and then they move on to being just doing that, whatever job they choose to do. Yeah. I, I like that aspect of the, the movie as well, that there are people that have had advanced technology but are choosing not to use it be, and feel like they can have fulfilling lives anyway. So I, I really, I kind of like where they're, where they're coming from, right? And I like some of the things that Anij is helping Picard to see. I mean, at the same time, Rob, she is probably one of my lesser favorites in, in this list because... I mean, there is something that feels a little undeveloped about it or that they don't really have enough common interests. I mean, the common interest seems to be in maybe a certain way of of seeing life, but it doesn't feel like it's as, as developed or you really know as much about her independent of her interaction with Picard, right? I think that's what you were getting at. Like, there there isn't, like, she's having to be rescued and it's all this stuff in relation to Picard. It's not really something that you know about or specifically, whereas for for Darren, it's like before she even meets Picard, she's in Starfleet. She has this interest in astrometrics and music, and like there's all this stuff, right? That that she has an independent person. No, I completely agree. I mean, I like, I think I like, and I think Picard also also appreciates the fact that she's, you know, she's a fighter. She's fighting for her people. I appreciate that mm-hmm. about her, and you know, obviously her wisdom with her with her age and her experiences. Um, but yeah, I agree with what you're saying. It's probably you know if we if we got to know her more over you know episodes, I'm sure we'd find more more out about her. But I think it's tough in a movie introducing a character mm. as a love interest and really getting to know much about them. Somehow in a 45 yeah. minute episode, you can get to know more. Darren and like Kamala and Vash, they were the main parts of the story, I suppose. With Anish, yeah. she was just kind of a 
a side character that just happened to be a love interest in a mm. what is essentially a two-part episode. So there's so much more going on. There's the A yeah. storyline, the B storyline, and then somewhere down the line, there's a niche to fit in as well. So there's definitely going to be less character yeah, development. Point. I think there's a really good thing about a niche that we could all learn in that life is really frenetic for most of us. And there's so many things that we do aside of going to work and coming home and doing home things. We're all involved in yeah. so much. And we've got all, all get so much more access to news and information from around the world that life can sometimes be yeah. kind of overwhelming. So I think mindfulness and maybe some meditation and some quiet time and switching off your devices and just being still for a short time each day and breathing is really important just to center yourself and calm. Maybe we could do that as part of the podcast. It's very important to remember. Just have a, a I'll quiet, just have five minutes of just, mindfulness silence. Like 30 <laughs> seconds of just quiet and just listen to the sounds around you and listen to your breathing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that, the Earl Grey meditation, meditation hour, podcast. Yeah. That's the easiest podcast to um, edit, though, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> welcome to another episode of Earl Grey. And that's it for an hour. <laughs> Done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. If it's a guided meditation, true, there's more true, than just that. But anyway, um, but like, I, I think it is a good lesson, and maybe I'll get into more in my, my final thoughts. But I, I think it's really been interesting to kind of look at this list and compare and, and, and focus on this. So... Um, so Rob, we really appreciate you bringing this topic, but give us your final thoughts on, you know, this whole topic and what we've talked about. Well, I, I, it's, it's a really subjective topic because, you know, it's, oh yeah, you know, what, it, what's, what constitutes best or a best partner, mm. you know, is it, is it your favorite, you know, every Trekkie has a favorite, <laughs> um, is it who's best suited to Picard? Is it? you know the person who's most likely to succeed in a relationship with Picard so yeah I'm sure everyone has a different answer um which is fine which is absolutely fine and I thought yeah it's really interesting to see all these relationships and how different a lot of them are um you know different personalities different interests different situations um uh, yeah, I, I don't think I have to spell out which I think is the, is Picard's best partner. <laughs> I think we've we've established that all three of us think it's yeah. Darren, but but it's interesting to to reflect on it for sure. Uh, Joe, final okay, thoughts. Okay, so like definitively, no arguments. The best person for Picard is Beverly's kind of long friendship that we've um, that she's had with Picard. Vash's adventurous spirit, the the music mm. and the science that comes from Darren, Anisha's um, timeless mindfulness, um, all those qualities kind of distilled down into one person would be. I don't know what that person would be called. I mean, Kamala maybe could do that. <laughs> Quite possibly, yeah. <laughs> She's, she can adapt mm-hmm. to all these that's, things. That's, that's so. true. But yeah, the. But it's a good point. Like there are these different things that we think are really good for Picard in each of those different mm-hmm. people. Yeah, and absolutely. we just yeah, I think every relationship you ha- you have with anybody, there are things that make that relationship work. And across all your different relationships, it might be different things that have worked with some some of them. Because we're all individual people, right? And there's no- nothing that's going to be like a perfect mm-hmm. alignment to exactly how you want things to be. There's going to be things that that you like and appreciate things yes. that are challenges like always with That's anyone, so true. right? 
but it's just like if overall for that you know it works and makes you happy (laughs) then it's good right but it's a it's a really great point yeah i I mean i well i think i knew before we talked about this who my choice would be but it just kind of (laughs) it just kind of uh you know, reemphasizes that because, like, I, I do think that Darren's the best. I do think Crusher is is a pretty close second because there there is a lot of history, there is a lot of potential for for development there. Um, but it is interesting to think about. We know more ab- about kind of Picard with some of these <laughs> these other women that are romantic relationships than we do about Crusher who was in, you know, all the episodes. <laughs> so it's interesting to, to find that out. Um, and to talk about, I mean, and it's a, it's a really varied list. You have somebody who's a long time friend and a doctor, somebody who's, you know, has a sense of adventure, but can do illegal things. Someone that's supposed to be the perfect mate for you. You know, someone who is a scientist and a, and a musician, someone who is, you know, part of this long-lived subspecies that is teaching Picard how to appreciate the moment. So there's actually a lot of variety. I really like from this list that it's not like the same person over and over again. They're clearly like different people that have different uh, things going for them. So I really like that. And I'm sure there's more we could have talked about, but you know, we have to restrict it to a certain number of people. I would be interested listeners in who you think Picard's best partner is and why. And also if it's someone that's not on the list, please tell us and why, <laughs> because I'd be really interested in that as well. Justin, do you know what? I'm really surprised. And Ewan mentioned earlier that we thought you'd go all kind of thinking outside the box again, like time travel and go, oh, oh no. Oh, you think it would be Enterprise, like the Enterprise yeah. D? <laughs> <laughs> or the Stargazer. Yeah, best partner for Picard, the Stargazer. Yeah. <laughs> Picard's best partner is... The Starfleet Command Building. I, I no, I'm not going to go crazy. <laughs> the but, complete uh, works of Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For the win. a good book is his best partner. It never gives yeah. him trouble. <laughs> Doesn't talk back. Yeah, uh-huh. that's funny. Well, I think since we had that experience, and you guys thought it was funny that I was talking about time travel as a villain, I've tried to stay away from those kinds of things. So well done. <laughs> self-restraint yeah it's been a really great conversation rob we really appreciate you coming on earl gray and bringing us this great topic so tell people where they can find you online. Uh, you can find me on twitter i'm at trekkie rob and uh, you can find uh, my trek book club which is at trek book club on twitter yeah and up I always like to put in a plug for it, but uh, Trek Book Club is a great place for discussion every month. Um, I think when this one comes out in a couple of weeks, you'll be doing a discussion toward the end of March about the Picard novel, The Last Best Hope, which is really oh, would, exciting. Hold on a minute. What would uh, you mean? Are there Star yes. Trek books? What? <laughs> Just a few. Uh, yes, I, meant, Whoa, I mention them every are, once in a while, a every episode. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I, I think that's going to be a, a really great discussion because it really very much ties into the, into the show and you put out lots of like really great questions. There's lots of interaction. So yeah, listeners should definitely check that out if they aren't already. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Rob. It was really yeah, great having so you back. Thanks so much for having me. Really, really enjoyed myself. It's good fun. Okay. So a preview of next week's episode. Can you believe it, Joe? Amy is away yeah, again. That doesn't surprise so. me. <laughs> Amy being away, it's like a regular <laughs> phenomenon. About the world. But lucky for us, we get to have a guest mm. and we get to have back on Earl Grey, Mike Wong of the Strange New World Science and Star Trek podcast, talking about our favorite exoplanets in TNG. Now, I think you were not on Earl Grey the last time we had nope. Mike Wong on, nope. were you? 
No. I wasn't on the last time so, Rob was on either, so it was in the pre-Joe right. days. Uh, yeah. So uh, Mike has a really great uh, podcast about uh, science and, and Star Trek. He's also a planetary scientist. So um, I had suggested a topic that I thought was great, favorite exoplanets in TNG, which would mean the favorite planets we see in TNG that are outside of Earth's solar system. That's so, really interesting. That'll be fun, right, Because Joe? when we were... Yeah. Um, had uh, Erin McDonald on. I was out walking mm -hmm. the dogs one morning where it was really dark, but it was really wintry, so the sky was really clear. And I looked up and looked at Orion, and I had got my phone out where I needed the torch on my phone to see in the dark because it was dark, uh, obviously. Um, but I used this star, was it the Star Walk app, where you can hold your phone up to the sky and it'll mm -hmm. show you the names of the stars. And do you know what? I I've didn't know. That in the constellation of Orion, Betelgeuse is the the top left star. Yeah. Mm. But also in Orion's yeah. belt, the one that's furthest to the right is the star Mintaka, which I didn't know. Oh, that's the real yes, name of the star. Which huh? I assume is where the um the planet Mintaka three is. The proto Vulcans yes, are right, right now. now. <laughs> I was like, wow, all these so it would be yeah. really interesting because I didn't know anything about Mike Wong until you just told us all. So it'd be really interesting to kind of traipse through all the planets that we currently know about, all some 4,000 of them or so, and then all the Star Trek planets. And, <laughs> all in one yeah, podcast. Yeah, to see if there's any yeah. star systems that we've identified just now that actually match up with Star Trek planets. I think there... Um, I mean, I think there are some like the 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 Vulcan system. What is it, Eridani system? That's a, that's a real is, star yes. system. And if so, anybody's read the Bobbyverse yeah. books, which are really a fun read, you should read them. Not Star Trek, um, but definitely sci-fi. Then Bob goes to the Epsilon Eridani system and names the planets mm. there, um, Vulcan, and I think he names the other one Romulus because he's. The character yeah, cool. is a Star Trek fan as well, so definitely worth reading <laughs> nice. those. So yeah, we're we're gonna have <clears throat> we're gonna have a lot of mm -hmm. fun in that episode for sure. So looking forward to it. Well, it's been so much fun talking about Picard's best partner, Nella Darren, mm -hmm. of course, right? Um, <laughs> with guest Rob Chapman today. But that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, Primitive Culture: A Look at History and Culture Through Star Trek. I think the difference is that Flashback is intentionally trying to to carve Voyager a little place within the fabric of the undiscovered country, say, and it's trying to place Tuvok. Well, it's trying it's trying almost to <laughs> to retcon, isn't it? Because Tim Russ was in that film as one of the Excelsior crew, so it's it's trying to do a retcon. And say, no, no, he was in he was in Generations. He wasn't even in that film. That's the oh, wasn't he? Thing. He was like, and it's and I suppose it's a Brandon Braga episode as well. Brandon Braga wrote Generations. Brandon Braga, I suppose, must have realised some. I mean, maybe unconsciously realised that Tim Russ was in Generations as a different character. He was, so wasn't it's, he? It's almost like a weird sort of um i've got that wrong you're right whether on, on some no but I, I wonder whether unconsciously on some level that's the connection you're supposed to be sort of slipping into and of course that he was serving on an excelsior class ship earl gray i want to see that spaceship that's got giant space-time knitting needles yeah. <laughs> and they just and they just like do that like as they warp through space fixing it behind themselves that'd be, that'd be awesome literary treks 
the one that I left out that I that in hindsight I regret it is the one where he's uh, is it wink of an eye where he's fighting the guy in the quarters and he actually throws a pillow at the other guy and it hits him in the face <laughs> and and stops him dead in his tracks for two seconds long enough for Kirk to get the upper hand on him and I just I'm like I don't even know how to describe this you know I don't I don't, I don't even know what to give I couldn't come up with a name for it that was probably the biggest thing is I couldn't come up with a catchy name for it pillow talk or something maybe in high school stops him dead in his tracks because he's like did did you just throw did a you pillow? just throw a pillow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the line a Star Trek Picard podcast I think I've exhausted the planet. <laughs> well, then let me end on a funny note. The first thing I thought when I saw that Senator beheaded was, well, I guess we don't need to worry about Quentin Tarantino doing a Star Trek movie anymore. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually quite uh, surprised mm-hmm. by that. But <laughs> And his blood was <laughs> very happened. bright green. Very bright. It was bright. very bright green. But, was, yeah. 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 Bravo. Bring, Bring Quentin numbers. Tarantino back. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favourite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad or Apple TV or the desktop Apple Podcasts app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review that helps others to find the show. So, Joe, you want a bonus question? <gasps> yeah, that's my, literally my favorite part of any episode. And I hope I don't disappoint you because, I mean, listeners, whenever I do this bonus question, I'm really like thinking about it on the fly. I haven't thought about it like before this moment. But uh, let's see. Today we were talking about Picard's best partner. Mm-hmm. And I think we were all saying that's Nella Darren. Do you think that there's somebody that we see in TNG... Or, I don't know, maybe in DS9 or Voyager even, that would be Crusher's best partner if we're not thinking oh. about Picard and Crusher. <laughs> oh, that's not the question I thought you were going to ask. I thought you were going to get personal. <laughs> what do you think I, I was going to ask? I thought you were going to ask, like, oh. who would be your best partner from, from TNG? See, I thought about that for a second, like your best partner from TNG, but I thought maybe that would be too personal. But you can answer that instead if you no, want. That's fine. So, wait, but Crusher, I'll answer the question first of all. Um, Crusher's best partner. That's interesting. Because obviously Picard is the obvious answer because that's the only person we really see her with with the exception well, we of the, here with odan yeah odan and the ghost <laughs> now the ghost is in the lantern that's in scotland please don't pick that one so annoying that, that is not the that, right there's a line her. um or what is it they say um the stones for the the castle or the church were transported yeah. all the way from the hills of kilmarnock and i'm like I live like 20 minutes drive from Kilmarnock and I don't know any hills. It's literally really flat. So <laughs> I think they probably just looked up a map and went, oh, look, there's a place. It sounds Scottish. Let's <laughs> call it there. Um, yeah, so yeah. that really oh, that annoys me that bit. Um, so definitely has to be Picard, doesn't it? Odan, mm. it was never going to last long. Then there's the creepiness of Odan being Riker. Oh, that's just That's just weird. That's like dating your... Yeah, striker. Um, yeah, me. Uh, do you know what? I think I have to say Wesley Crusher, just because of the age I was when I first watched TNG. He's a little older than me, um, but he seemed like the really cool kid that was dead science. Science like interest. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Wesley. Which is a weird choice now, but me as a okay. teenager would have picked Wesley. Any Star Trek person, Hugh Culber, okay. Wilson Cruz. Nice. If you've ever hugged Wilson Cruz before. Do it, find whatever he is and hug him. It's all muscle. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's the best thing ever. Yeah. So, like, this is an interesting question because when I think about Crusher, I mean, yeah, there's a limited number of people you really see her with. I feel like we're forgetting someone, but it's probably Picard. But, like, interestingly, in a way, for me, if I think about, like, somebody on TNG... Mm -hmm that I think might work for me, it would actually be Nella Darren <laughs> because I just love like the music interest yep. and the science interest and there's, and like the core values that she has, like all the reasons I was talking about her as being best yeah, for yeah, Picard. Yeah. Okay. I think out of the people we see in TNG, she'd be like the best for me. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that adds a level. That's anyway, I would see, yeah. I thought about it for a fraction of a second. And if, if I was to choose a TNG person for you, Troy popped into my mind like instantly without even thinking about it because I see you I as being really thoughtful and I see Troy mm -hmm. as being really thoughtful. No, it's, it's, it's really interesting that you mention that because uh, one of the things about Troy, of course, is that, you know, she senses these feelings from people mm -hmm. uh, because she's half Betazoid. And actually my wife, Rosie, is actually really good. I mean, she's not Betazoid or anything, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> she's actually, she's, <laughs> but she's actually really good at sensing and feeling what people are going through. And I mm. really like that because that's something I don't have as much. Okay. So, and Troy is actually one of her favorite characters for that reason. So it's a good connection you made. Mm, interesting. I get okay. that impression well, about Rosie yeah. though. This, obviously yeah. I've only met her once at STLV last year, but like yeah. through her posts on Facebook, she seems yep. like just a really good human being, like just genuinely spirited. Yes. And she really genuinely cares about people yeah. a lot. I really comes <laughs> across. You can tell from her posts, but yeah. Wow, that's an interesting question. And listeners will have to know, let us know what uh, your thoughts are on this as well. Well, okay, if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, and most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. And there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter and Instagram at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So Joe, where can people contact you when you're not working on scheduling your next trip where you can see Wilson Cruz at a con and give him a hug. I knew you were going to go with a Wilson Cruz reference. <laughs> yes, when I'm not doing that, this is constant planning on my part. Um, I, it will happen one day again. Although, why are flights so damnably expensive to anywhere at the moment? This, this pleases me greatly. Um, any case, you can get me on the Twitter... <laughs> at joeyjoe77uk you can email me joepodcasts at gmail.com or you can get me hanging about the Babel conference and Justin where can people contact you when you're not learning Chopin's piano trio in G minor on the piano oh goodness I have a ways to go before I can get there you know I took some piano lessons when I was about seven or eight mm. uh, for Good maybe a few months okay, but on. like I only a few months that's not going to get you that's very not get me to that that piece <laughs> But when I'm not fantasizing about that, maybe Nella Darren can teach me. Um, you can find me elsewhere on the network, co-hosting The Line. That's our dedicated Star Trek Picard podcast with my friends Chrissy DeClercq-Zalagi and Brandon Shamatala. We're having a great time talking about every Picard episode as it comes out in depth. Yes, it's about two hours. <laughs> but 
we have a really good time doing that. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons' website, PatronZone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trebuzio, Jim McMahon, Joe Keegan, and me, Justin Ozer. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. I love you, Jean-Luc. Who are you impersonating? I don't know. know. (laughs) Nobody. Okay. I love you, Jean-Luc Picard. (laughs) It's my random female American accent. Wow. It was good, wasn't it? That was not very good. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Good as my Scottish accent, which I won't try. I want you to understand what my music means to me and what it means for me to be able to share it with someone. Oh, see, I went all frivolous and you went all serious. God's sake.